Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hey, this is Matt Lesher. This is Phil Lamar. Hey, this is Rodney Taylor, a.k.a. The Penguin Gotham, and you are listening to Geek Vibes Live. Welcome, Geek Vibes Nation, to an all-new episode of Geek Vibes Live Interview. I'm your host, Juwan, and today we are going to be joined by a very, very, very special guest, producer of movies like The Hitman and The Apparition, publisher of comic books, and founder of Heroic Hollywood. Um, Daniel Alter is going to be so much fun to talk to. He should be calling in any minute, Uh, and we're going to geek out, man. We're going to geek out. I am such a huge fan of Hitman, Uh, the video games, and I loved, loved, loved uh, the first Hitman with Timothy O'Flint, so I cannot wait to completely geek out with him, and he's a fan of so much geek-related stuff, so, excuse me, so much to talk about, so he should be calling in in a few moments. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Well, how, you, how you doing? This is Juwan. How you doing? Juwan, Dan, great to meet you telephonically, my man. Absolutely. Listen, I am so excited to talk to you. I, I could not wait for this interview. Um, so oh, God. Wow. Well, I uh, get ready to be disappointed. <laughs> no, that's impossible. That is impossible. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to start with, um, with uh, talking to you about Hitman. Um, that was possibly one of the best video game uh, live-action adaptations I had ever seen. Um, I remember my dad, because uh, I remember when I played Xbox, I never really thought anything could top Max Payne. Like, I thought Max Payne was just, like, the best you could do for a video game of a style like that. And then Hitman came along. Um, and I remember I couldn't really beat the first one. Blood Money got even harder. Um and I just, I, I immediately fell in love with the game. And then when I heard that the actual movie was being made, I remember my dad got more excited than I did um, and was just like, this is going to be amazing. Like, this movie is going to be amazing. It looks amazing. I remember um, watching the trailer. My dad flipped out in the scene of when he kind of goes into the um, the ice box, pulls out the two uh, silver ball. Like, he just went bananas. Like, everything he was imagining, that video game turning into a movie, uh, you know, manifested itself right in that moment. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, making a movie like that, um, how much, uh, as it's being made, are you thinking, all right, we got to kind of stick to certain aspects of the video game, and then we kind of have to cater to people who may have never heard of the video game. Um, where did you kind of find the balance in, in that idea? Well, that is actually a great question. Tell you what, let me just double, tell me, can you hear me? 
Right now, I have to put my headphones in. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you perfectly. Is that cleaner? That's probably clearer. Okay. So yep. I think that's actually a great question. I think that's a great question when anybody is, uh, is developing uh, a, a project that's based on previously existing material, whether it's a book or a video game or a comic book, uh, or it's inspired by uh, a theme park attraction, or it's a short story that could be on the back of a, a can of soup, you know, frankly. You've got to figure out, you know, what is the – what's interesting you in terms of a story with characters and then what is something you have to service when you're dealing with something where there's a lot of fans, like a comic book or a video game, I think you always have to be cognizant of that. So I can just tell you that uh, early on in the, the first Hitman movie and developing the first Hitman movie, uh, there was a lot of effort taken in the screenplay of that movie uh, to be uh, on one hand faithful to the spirit of the game uh, while at that time it was also, and the writer Skip Woods was looking to do his own story that was, as I say, in the spirit of the game, but also original. And I think that, you know, worked for it and is a style that you can probably do oftentimes with games because there's so much dependent on world. But you do also have to be, you know, careful. You brought up Max Payne. I think that's interesting with video game adaptations and developing them is figuring out the world versus the character. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as someone who likes to think that he studies film, comic world, comic, stuff like that, I looked at that movie, and the first thing I thought um, was, and I try to explain this to anyone who is like a diehard comic fan or a diehard video game fan, um, a studio always has to balance the two. Like if, if, if a studio comes out and makes a video game movie completely just like the video game so it pleases the fans, the general audience could be sitting there having no idea what they're looking at. Like, yes, cool, you know, it has great action sequences and stuff like that, but, like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Um, so it, it, it's always, you know, they always have to figure out ways to balance it. Um, we see that in superhero movies. I mean, you look at something like um, uh, Captain America Civil War. Like, that was, like, very loosely uh, based on the comic book. But you could see, obviously, they were trying to cater it. So, like, if you saw Winter Soldier, the first Captain America, or Age of Ultron, you could kind of go, like, all right, I don't really know about comics, but, like, I remember seeing that. I get this. Um, so it's always about balance. And, yeah, um, I think Marvel, Marvel's been really good at that, where they've been, they've been about taking characters that people have a knowledge of and bringing them to life, but at the same time, being very respectful and paying a lot of homage to these great stories that were already in the actual source material. And they're able to take liberty with it creatively and, and carve out their own take or their own point of view with regard to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But there's a lot of reverence there, obviously. Oh, absolutely. And it brings me back to my, my next question. When, when you're doing this, uh, a movie like this, um, is, was there any concern with you necessarily on the idea of taking a video game uh, and, and spinning it into a, a live-action movie, mainly because of the stigma of there haven't really been great video game movies, whether some people don't like Mortal Kombat or Max Payne. Um, did you kind of feel any, any pressure on, on making sure that this was a home run, or did you kind of just, uh, kind of just walk into it like, we're going to make the best, uh, you know, product possible, and we just hope that everyone enjoys it. You know, I think you have to always start with, um, or I think a lot of people do always start with trying to make just the best product or, or piece of content or movie or however you want to refer to it, art. Uh, 
possible and, and hope as many people enjoy it. But again, I think when you're dealing with something that has reverence, that has fans, you need to be, as I say, cognizant of that and need to try and address that. So for me, I, first and foremost, am a big fan, for example, of Marvel and DC and Star Wars, right? Like that is the kind of stuff that I love. And I really pay a lot of attention to how much attention they're paying to servicing stuff that I care a lot about from these things. It's a little different with Marvel and DC because you look at the source material with Star Wars, I can get into a whole separate tangent. So backing it to your question, you know, I will tell you that when I developed projects over the years, be it Hitman, be it projects based on comic books, I've never developed uh, Marvel or DC, but I've developed a lot of projects based on a lot of independent comic books, some quite well known. You're always trying to be faithful, but it is that walk. It is that balance. And, and that goes to exactly what we were just speaking about with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where I think it's faithful, but they find the story. Now, where they're very faithful to Marvel movies, and I think almost any movie, and I think this is something that video game movies you know, need to do as well, but it's a little more complicated, is character stuff. Marvel has been really great, as of some DC movies, of servicing character. I think uh, one of the problems that a lot of video game movies deal with is that ultimately video games are first and foremost really popular because of play. It, it may not necessarily be stories or characters, it may be add-ons. That's why you often see a lot of people clamor to license titles and because they already know these properties, these worlds, but then it becomes about the gameplay, the gameplay. So it, it's a really fine balance of figuring out is somebody a fan of this for the story and the characters and the gameplay and do you want to service the story and characters by extending it or do you want to adapt it? I happen to think that games are already an expansion or an extension of movies. Already, a, a, That art form of gaming is already the next level. So we're kind of dealing in sort of a 2D space when you're making movies or TV shows based on games, and they're already three-dimensional. So it, it, it's, you, you have to approach it from it, but I'm interested in seeing going forward, a lot of the gaming companies now making their own movies. I think you'll see more, unlike complex versus adaptations, you'll actually see them making games and movies at the same time, and the movies will almost be an extension of that. Yeah, and to to me, and I love that point. And by the way, I love uh, I love how much of a Star Wars, DC, and Marvel fan you are because we are definitely going to geek out about all three of those um, uh, after we're done with with this. Um, but yeah, to me, as as a viewer, someone who could kind of look at these movies as a video game fan and as just a fan of of movies, um, I thought it was a beautiful blend. I thought it was such a beautiful blend, and the casting of Timothy was so spot on. I thought that was really, really, really that's what brought everything home to me. Um his performance. Well, so and, um, and just, just to, to just and how old are you for example? Twenty five. So you're also a younger generation than me and I think that just speaks to the I'm always, you know, curious and interested about that of younger generation growing up and, you know, what is the reverential IP that you're growing up with, which, you know, may not only be Marvel and D C and Star Wars what are the things, you know, that, that whatever Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Power Rangers or games like Hitman, Max Payne, Resident Evil, whatever, these things obviously have meaning to you and you want to see them brought to life. So it's interesting to me to see it as I think you're kind of in the sweet spot of that viewer who knows these properties but also wants to see a movie or TV adaptation of them. And, you know, what do you want? I mean, are you a fan of them first and foremost because of character and story or because of gameplay? See, I am huge on story, um, mainly because, like, I personally have, like, an Xbox One and a Nintendo Switch. So, like, if a PS4 exclusive comes out, 
Um, I'm obviously not going to rush go buy a PlayStation just to play it. So what I sometimes do is just go to YouTube and watch just the cutscenes, like the entire cutscene. And what I really appreciated about Hitman was um, that, you know, even when I got done with the games, even the newer Hitman games, um, I would just love to watch just the cutscenes because I felt as though they had such good stories uh, with such a character that says very little. Like, that's how powerful I thought the game was because the character says so little, but the story is so intriguing. And it's not as simple as, oh, he just goes around killing people. Like, no, there's so much more story to this character. Um, so to me, it's usually story first, then gameplay, because if the gameplay is great, but the story isn't really um, capturing me all that much, I just I can't get into it. Uh, I, I'll give you an example. The Pass of Nia, um, or even Enter the Matrix. I thought both of them had amazing gameplay um, for that time, for the, for the Xbox. I just didn't think the stories were all that great. Like, I couldn't sit back and watch full cutscenes of those two games. But the gameplay for the time was amazing. Being able to slow things down, do matrix flips and, sh- and you know, shooting in the matrix and stuff was great. Um, so, to me, what I thought the movie was driven on was story and the characters. And like I said, it was such a beautiful blend of the two. Um, and then it just had moments to where it just, like, if I closed my eyes, I would think I was holding a controller. Um, like I said, the moment with him going into the, the ice box to pull out the silver ball, like, that was just such a beautiful shot. Um, I, I can't geek out enough about that shot. Um, but then, to me, the thing that really made me go bananas about this movie was the ending. I thought the ending was just so great. Um, so I originally wanted to ask you, uh, my last two questions about Hitman, I want you to think this whole, uh, this whole interview is about Hitman. Uh, my last two questions, one being, when you left off in that moment, um, were the thoughts of a sequel or the thoughts of a, a spinoff or, what, or whatever, was it ever really going to be addressed on, you know, where he went right after that? Or was it always just playing it by ear, kind of seeing where you were going after the success of that movie? I, I think any time you're developing a movie like that, you know, and it's based on, you know, obviously as we're talking about, you know, something that's pre-existing intellectual property that, that studios deem to have value because there's a fan base of X amount of millions of people, for example, you're always looking for something to be a franchise. So I, I think anytime, any project I've ever you know, been involved with that's been based on some sort of pre-existing video game or comic book has always been intended to be a franchise. That's, that's the way I answer that. Excuse me. It, it was fun because seeing him kind of escape everything, seeing that final scene of him and I, I believe it was the cathedral, if I'm not mistaken, um, mm-hmm. it was just so many shots of that movie. I'm sorry, I can't stop geeking out about it. Um, my last question to you is, there is I, I was speaking of this earlier, such a stigma on, on the, the video game live a- adaptation world. What do you think is the biggest uh, misconception of that these video game movies get? And did you hear anything about your movie um, that, you know, you heard people talking about that you think is a misconception? Um, because I do think a lot of these movies do get unnecessary, unnecessary um, criticism. Because to me, I actually did enjoy aspects of Assassin's Creed. I did enjoy aspects of Max Payne. I just for telling you, I thought Hitman was such a classic. Um, and I did like Mortal Kombat. 
Um, so, like, when you hear these things about video game movies, like, what, what are some of the thoughts that you have on, on what's the misconception of them? Look, here, here's the thing, and I appreciate that, you know, you enjoy Hitman, for example. I, I don't think it's a great film, to be totally honest. Uh, I don't think it's on the level of some of the best comic adaptations, for example. And, and I would use that as a segue into saying to you that I think comic book movies took a very long time to earn their respect. For a very long time, there was some huge comic book movies like, Richard Donner's Superman the movie or Tim Burton's Batman. And in between them was a lot of ones that were not very good. And for a very long time, there was a stigma. And it took a long time, a long time post the early success of Marvel, the huge early success of Marvel. I'm talking about massive success with X-Men, massive success with Spider-Man, massive success that Warner Brothers had with Christopher Nolan's Batman films. Dark Knight sort of, in my opinion, been nominated you know, for Best Picture way back when. Uh, maybe Batman Begins should have been, frankly, or even Donner's Superman. So it wasn't until finally Black Panther you got a film that was able to secure that. I, I would tell you that with game movies, you know, until you start having the kind of run that Marvel has had, the kind of run that Nolan's Batman films had, it would be hard for that genre or any genre that's based on something so steep in sand and to get that kind of respect. Um, and at the same time, I would tell you that we've still yet to have any really great game movies. I mean, I'll be totally fair. And that comes from just, I, I think, you know, first thing, it's just about a batting average. It's like people talk about, people used to say, oh, movies of female leads don't work. Now everybody finally gets it because of Captain Marvel. I've been saying movies of female leads work for years, and we've seen evidence that they work for years. But at the same time, if the industry only wants to make so many movies with female leads, or so many movies, with African-American leads, then you're going to limit the availability for those films to be successful because you're not making enough of them anyway. It's not like every movie they make is a video game movie. It's hard enough to make a good movie. So at this point, you just haven't had enough good or great video game movies to help the genre get over the stigma. I think sooner or later, someone may or may not make a great game movie. At the same time, I would also tell you that as I said earlier, the medium in itself is so radically advanced beyond the traditional consumption in which you just watch a movie or TV show, and it's so compatible with where we're going digitally right now with all this disruptive streaming tech that I don't even have to worry about that. Yeah, and listen, that, that's, a, that's a great point, and I will say that... Um, it's its own art form, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, it really is its own art form, and it hasn't been given that respect, and it is finally getting that respect. So when I say don't have to worry about that, like, if people don't want to respect movies based on games, the gaming medium is starting to get so much of its own respect anyway. That is very true. And we were saying uh, from what looks like is going to be such a huge box office success um, with Detective Pikachu, we were saying that, right. could, break, that could break things open. Um, like sure. That and, movie and looks... Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. That, that could be a blockbuster. That, and by the way, like, it, it doesn't appeal to me, to be you know, totally honest. I can see it being a huge movie, but that will, again, sort of, you know, create this conversation of how are you supposed to do a game movie? Are you supposed to adapt it faithfully? Or are you supposed to sort of embrace the world and the concept and figure out a way to make something that complements it? Yeah, and I'll say this. I'll say this, because I think um, Kevin Feige and MCU have, have done it. DC somewhat, like on and off, has been able to do it. Um, if you do make a movie that is somewhat almost completely catered to the fan base, I promise you that still works. It still works, and here's why. 
I have I have seen it in so many different instances to where I know someone who um, took their kid to go see like a Black Panther Captain Marvel movie, right? And they're like, I had no idea who this character was. Their kid is too young to know who they were. So they're like asking me, like, tell me about this character. I tell them, and now they're like, oh, wow, really? And I'm like, yeah, pick up a comic book, like, you know, read. Like, these, these characters are super interesting. And it creates the intrigue. They may not pick up a comic book, but they'll, they'll feel like they know something if they have a conversation at work. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you can make movies that are catered to the fan base that still appeal to the, you know, the mass audience who have never read a comic book, never heard of these characters. That's why I thought when John Favreau did the first Iron Man that I thought wasn't based off of one particular comic but was completely made for the fans. Um, I thought that was a beautiful way. Same with The Dark Knight. I thought that was a love letter to fans who are fans of Batman. Um, It was not catered to... Uh, mainstream people who maybe never heard of Batman or never seen a Batman movie before or something, um, you can do that. And then once people see that the fans are interested, they start to ask questions. They start to want to go. So I think with exactly like you said, with the video game world, they will find their stride. And once they hit it, it will be un- they will be unstoppable because there's so many things. Uh, like, there's so many video games. You can go back to the old days and get video games. Come back to, to now with games like Infamous or um, Grand Theft Auto. Like, there's so many different games you could make movies off of. Um, one of the, the games I was always been praying got a movie um, because I, I, I remember hearing rumblings about it years, so many years ago with, I think, uh, Bruce Willis was rumored and Jamie Foxx was rumored. Um, was Kevin oh Lynch. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tried that for years. Got great stories. Yes. That, listen, I'll leave that, it back for now. We've got some great stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say, what, were you this, say I, what were you going to say about the game? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll comment you know, a little bit, but what were you going to say about the game? I was just going to say on the game in the sense of that's a story that can easily be spun into a movie and be done. Uh, so, And I don't even think, Matt, like, a lot of even gamers remember Kane and Lynch. Um, I was right. Well, that's, that's, that, 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 that's such a perfect example that, that you went to. I mean, that was, a, that was a game that was basically really more that it was, it was a movie than it was a game, it, and, mm-hmm. and it was an opportunity for the guys who made the game to basically make a movie, right? And yeah. it, was a, it was a highly hyped game, and it, it was sort of a big game in the sense that it was highly promoted and people knew it, but it, it never really became an ongoing series, you know, successfully much beyond that if there was like one sequel, but it was so cinematic. And that's a perfect example when we were developing that of going, okay, so if the game is about to become a huge game and it's cinematic, how faithful do you have to be in that adaptation? I mean, do you treat it like a book or you wrestle with that? Because that was my question to you about, you know, what, what games do you like or do you like them because of gameplay or do you like them because of character? And I think one of the reasons Candle Lynch wasn't so successful if I remember, was because it wasn't such a great game in terms of actual gameplay versus it was just such great character and story. And it's very hard to figure that balance out because there's so many of these great projects out there. You'll look at them and you'll see the, the story and the characters. Then you've got to figure out what the value is for them. Is there actually an audience to tell it? You brought up and said, you know, Batman, for example. But at the end of the day, everybody knows Batman. So what was always wrong is anytime they start to deviate from the source material. That didn't make any sense. The source material was already so well-known and it's already so great. I would tell you with gaming, there's a very fine line between figuring out 
what is big and is it big because of the gameplay or is it big because of character and story? And if something's big because of character and story, and by that I mean world, it's very arrogant when studio execs want to get in there and start to change things. Yeah, and I, th- I think what frustrates me the most is, like, you'll get fanboys who will complain just to complain. Like, they don't even really have, like, a leg to stand on. Like, if, if a Cannon Lynch movie were to come out today and it was very loosely tied to the game, was pretty much just it, its own thing, just had the name, um, and it was just its own thing. To me, you can do that because I can guarantee you a lot of people forgot that that was a game because the gameplay wasn't that great. No one's running back to that. Like, honestly, I have it downloaded on my Xbox One. When I found out it was backwards compatible, I immediately bought that game just because of, like you said, I loved this. It was like a movie. The gameplay was okay. Um, it reminded me more of uh, Max Payne, but Max Payne worked because it was so early in the Xbox year. So it was like, all right, well, you can assume why the gameplay was like that. But Cannon Lynch should have been way more evolved um, as far as gameplay than it was. Um, so to me, if, if, you know, someone took Cannon Lynch and made it completely its own thing and it was a good movie, I wouldn't complain whatsoever. Like, oh, it didn't have the, the actress. Like, no, because no one remembers that game. So to me, right. liberties are to be taken. That's why when everyone got upset that uh, Marvel did Ant-Man but made him Scott Lang instead of... Um, Excuse me, I can't remember the other Ant-Man's name. just went off my head. Hank Pym. Um, Hank Pym, thank you. Um, I, I wasn't upset purely because everyone who got upset, don't tell me, like, five years ago you were asking for an Ant-Man movie of Hank Pym. Like, you weren't. You weren't. No, You're just I was just never out. asking for an Ant-Man movie, period. I mean, I'm still not. Right. I, I'm still in shock to making them, but that's a whole separate thing. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, there's but a reason they made the first one they made, and it makes sense, yada, yada. But yeah, no, sense. I completely agree with you. I mean, I figured once Age of Ultron came out before you introduced Hank Pym, I realized at that point you were never going to really have Hank Pym as a member of the Avengers. It was always going to be someone else. It was going to be um, Scott Lang, who they decided to go with, because they made Ultron based off of Tony and... Um, and, uh, and Banner. So it was just like, oh, well, no, that's not accurate. <laughs> it was Hank Pym's baby. But to me, I'm not upset about that. Cool, whatever. See, see that's Take the kind of stuff now you're exactly. Like, I, didn't, I didn't, you know, it's funny. Like, I was able to remember that it's Hank Pym, but then what you just said about Ultron, like, I didn't remember that because I'm not as, you know, again, I, I love Marvel. I love Marvel more, you know, probably anything. But I'm not as, like, as, as diehard about, like, oh, wait, who, who did what in the comics versus how they did in the movies? So I think that you have to be faithful to the spirit. You don't have to be faithful to a T. It's the same when you adapt a book into a movie, right? But it's a very fine yeah. line because people sometimes want things to be so faithful. And other times people want things to just be in the spirit. And I think that's something that gaming really wrestles with because gaming has this, this other element where it's this very specific interactive art form anyway. Maybe gaming doesn't necessarily work, you know, at its best to be turned into a movie or TV show because I think the best games – are so immersive stories anyway. But it is interesting when you start talking about, yeah, old titles and maybe just have sort of a brand awareness that people remember. And if you want to use those for a basis or a movie or TV show, there can be something there. So at, at this point, people want to get anything and turn anything into a movie or TV show. So I, I'm, I think picking up a bunch of old 80s and 90s games is probably something we may hear a lot of. Yeah, and listen, I, w- I want to ask you about this because this has been bugging me for the longest. You know, have you ever heard of, like, uh, you're on Twitter, so I know you, 
you have a whole bunch of people that talk about a bunch of stuff. Have you heard a lot of people talking about how they hate how there's no more original content as far as movies, like everything's a remake or a superhero yeah, well, yeah, movie? Yeah, of course, yeah. I, mean, okay, I, so, I think that look, conversation extends beyond Twitter, uh, you know, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what bothers me about that is the the past Oscars, right, I was serving Twitter, and I saw a lot of people, like, when the, the best best uh, best film, you know, came out, and, uh, they you know, they were saying the nominees and everything. I saw a lot of people that were saying, like, oh, I didn't even know that was a movie. I didn't know that came out this year. What's Roma? And I'm like, those are the original films that you are complaining you're not getting, but they're being made, and you're not seeing them. You're rushing to see Jurassic World. You're rushing to see... Avengers 5, you're rushing to see all these movies you are saying you're sick of. So to me, it's like, it's so tough for these original films that really only get recognized by uh, the Academy because they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily blockbuster hits in the box office. No one's really rushing out to see it. They might see it if it comes on TV or something. So as a, as a producer, I wanted to ask you, is that something that, that's frustrating knowing that um, original content isn't as appreciated as the stuff that's becoming, I don't want to say oversaturated, because I'm a fan of, like, all the Marvel, DC stuff, um, stuff like that, but in a sense of, like, uh, Fast and Furious. Like, they, I'm sure they're going to have Fast and Furious 30 before I'm dead. Um, but, like, does that <laughs> bother you, knowing that original content just isn't appreciated I mean, anymore? The answer, you know, honestly, is yes. I mean, as someone who's a huge fanboy, and, and, and obviously, you know, with regard to Twitter, you know, brought up, just all I do is talk about Marvel and DC, and, and, and that, that's exactly I mean, I love Marvel, I love DC, I love Star Wars, I love Star Trek, I, I love all this stuff. I, I can't wait, thinking of Fast and the Furious, for Hobbs and Shaw, the spinoff, right? I mean, I'm a fan yeah. of all this stuff on one hand, right? I, you know, Jurassic Park is one of my favorite movies growing up, and, and, and speaking of, you know, adaptations, I read the book, you know, multiple times, and Jurassic World was a big moment for me. I was Inside the movie was okay, but suddenly there's nothing original anymore. There's not an opportunity to create the new Jurassic Park anymore. There's not an opportunity to create the new Jaws or the, the new Indiana Jones or the new Star Wars. Uh, it's very depressing. It's the reality of the business. We've evolved in this place where everything is a brand. Everything has to be a remake, a sequel, a reboot, an adaptation. Look, obviously some of these big things like Jaws or Jurassic Park were based on big books. And, and maybe books were in a place that at, in the, those times producers and studios looked a lot to the get stuff. But there was still this, this platform, which was the cinema, that could create original material. I mean, the, the best examples I can give are Indiana Jones and Star Wars, the franchises and worlds. Those days, they, they're pretty much gone. I mean, The Matrix was one of the last times that somebody was able to do something like that and be original and daring. I think now, outside of a couple of key filmmakers who either do things with a budget the way Shyamalan is doing stuff, or, you know, Christopher Nolan, who is in a moment of his career where he could pretty much do almost anything he wants. It's very hard to do anything original. Uh, you know, even James Cameron is now sequelizing Avatar. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's really hard to think of what would be the new stuff to be discovered. I think the streaming platforms will offer that opportunity because they will throw money at doing things like that. But theatrically, uh, it, it's, it's a big problem. And, and, look, I'm talking about big stuff like Star Wars or Indiana Jones being gone. But, yeah, you, you don't have the opportunity for lethal weapon in terms of action. You don't have the opportunity for courtroom dramas or, or, or romantic comedies anymore. These things are all being sort of strangled by the current theatrical ecosystem. At the same time, the same people who are 
knocking uh, that and who are, you know, advocating for these movies, like you brought up about Roma, for example, they now want to bite the hand that's feeding them because they want to make a fight with Netflix about the windows, which is the other big thing if you've been following that. And, you know, that's a disaster because Netflix is the only thing keeping this type of content alive right now. Yeah, and it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, to me, I'm someone who will watch original content, um, but isn't necessarily hungry for it. Like, I'm fine with remakes. Like, I'm, I'm completely okay with remakes, especially if it's done well. Um, you know, in the superhero movie, the somewhat saturation that we're getting um, from streaming well, services you're, you're, to you're movies. Well, you're fine with it, shows. but you, you're fine with it. But what I would tell you is someone now sound like the older, you know, Jada guy. But what I'll tell you is that I think you've missed out on discovery the way that I had. I think you missed yeah. out on just being able to see something and just give it a chance. Instead, everything has to be known already. It, it's so much because you're already a fan of that property or you're more willing to check it out because you're cognizant of that property. It, it, it requires a lot less of you to just be daring when you watch something or to go back and watch something older that you never heard of. So I do think that's a bit unfortunate in terms of just people filmic or cinematic IQ of knowing like what was out there being able to discover, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see now, it, it, I feel like the Hollywood is split. You have the movies that are purely, I mean, purely for, for Oscars. Like that, that's all that movie's looking to, to gear towards. Um, and then you have movies that are purely only for box office success. Like it's very right, right. rare. You'll see a movie that wins an Oscar, even gets nominated, that was a huge box office uh, success because they are so split. It's so split. You see movies like a lot of people felt like um, Black Panther should be nominated. A lot of people felt like it shouldn't. Um, I personally just saw the, um, I don't know if you saw it yet, but the, uh, the teaser trailer to Joker. That feels sure. like it's more so of an Oscar grab than it is a box office success. Um, but mm-hmm. it could be one of those films that blends the two. Um, so I think well, you'll probably, have... it probably will blend it because that's exactly it. If, if that film wasn't the Joker, if that was the exact same trailer, and that was just a brand new original movie directed by Todd Phillips, starring Joaquin Felix about a guy who dressed up as a clown. Had all, it's just the exact same movie, but it wasn't the Joker. People would be saying, my God, it looks like the Joker, right? Its yeah. commercial prospects would be a third or a quarter of what it's going to do right now. Maybe a fifth, maybe, maybe even, uh, you know, a, a larger fraction. On the flip side, it, it's, it's awards prospects. It, it's potential for accolades and critical acclaim might be higher. I think it will be, to use your word, a blend. I think it will score both very highly. It will be a blockbuster on one hand, and it will be one of the most acclaimed superhero, quote-unquote, I'm sorry, I could say superhero, comic book movies uh, of right. all time. It could get nominated. He could be nominated. Obviously, that ceiling got busted through finally with Black Panther. And by the way, we say Black Panther. The first movie, Cop Movie to Win, is actually Spider-Man of the Spider-Verse. But, um, you know, it, it's an interesting time. Again, like, that's exactly it. You, you, you make that point. Like, they're either trying to make, for the most part, blockbusters, or you're making movies that are trying to win Academy Awards. It used to be many, many years ago, just the best movies whether it was The Godfather or Star Wars or Indiana Jones or E.T., they'd kind of be like the biggest blockbuster movies and they'd be the most nominated movies. And then it starts to veer off into these factions where it's just a blockbuster. It's just a critically acclaimed movie. 
But times are changing. Theatrical experience is sort of evolving. It's something different. So that's when we get this Netflix disruption situation going on. And meanwhile, now with the Joker following Black Panther, maybe we're living in a world where every year there's going to be a comic book movie that gets nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, and what's, what's crazy about that is, um, like, let's say if this Joker movie does um, get nominated for, for Best Picture, and it is a box office success, this will have been a comic book movie. Uh, yeah, they're going to have way more of these, especially after right. Black Panther. Everybody's going to be trying to – and, and people are going to be going back and saying, Logan should have been nominated, as it should have been, or Dark Knight should have been nominated. Yeah. So that's going to make people more aggressive. It's going to legitimize the genre more. It's going to have people wanting to do more things. By the way, there's a slippery dark side to that because for me, and I think you and a lot of people, we love all these things. We want them to be respectfully done. We also don't want every single one of them to just try and be an Oscar movie too, though, right? Like, yeah, that could start yeah. to get down kind of a dangerous, you know, path. I mean, I, I really don't want to, like, have movies not be fun because they're all trying to chase the Oscar bait. And I, Logan is phenomenal. It, it, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, but it's, it's not the way I want to see Wolverine portrayed every single time on screen. No, no. And, and listen, I, I completely agree with you. I, I was just about to say, like, um, with this Joker film, like, it'll be about a villain that didn't have a hero in it. Um, like, there is no Batman. Like, Bruce Wayne apparently exactly. is still a little kid. So, I mean, what, what, what would make me nervous about that um, when it comes to Warner Brothers and DC going forward is I don't want that to be your focus. Like, if you do it, uh, you know, every here Absolutely. and there, that's great. Yeah, exactly. But if you're telling me, that I have to wait on a Superman, Green Lantern, Batman, or, or Flash movie because you want to do these Oscars uh, comic book film movies, that's really going to bother me. It, it, it really would. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I mean, honestly, couldn't agree more. You know, movie looks terrific. He looks terrific. Would not be surprised if he becomes a major Oscar contender. But, you know, ultimately, first and foremost, with regard to DC and Marvel, I've always wanted, and I think you want, and I think the majority wants, and, you know, majority rules in this case, when you're dealing with publicly traded companies, they want the shared universe, and they want all these characters, you know, put at the forefront and interacting with each other, and they, we found some of these things first and foremost because they were superheroes, that, that, and that's what they were. Now, it doesn't mean it's not interesting things to be done, but each one of these entities is only going to make so many of these movies. So I'll be critical when they sort of waste it on Ant-Man on one hand, because I'm like, hey, you could have a much higher grossing movie there. And I think with Joker, they'll have major commercial success, though, so they'll get away with it. But at some point, if it becomes an excuse to start chasing more of these type of exercises, 100% agree. Like, we want the Justice League. We want Green Lantern. These are the things we really want to see more of. Yeah. And let's just hope Joker is great, has its, you know, its Oscar uh, consideration but that Warner Brothers does not take this as their new mold. It does not have to be. Yeah, um, yeah. Because no, suddenly wanna... we'll be seeing every version of this, and and you know, as yeah. much as I want to see that epic Lex Luthor movie, and I really do. Um, yeah, man, come on, like you know, I want the end game of the DC movies. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, sure, would I love a Brian Cranston? Uh, Lex Luthor movie that that's yeah, like the, the Godfather Lex Luthor movie. I mean, anybody yes. who knows me will tell you like that. Like my mind is already spinning when I watch the Joker trailer of like, give me the Lex Luthor you know version of this. But I'm not sure. It's interesting because it, it, you know, the, the one thing I will say to you about that is that I think Marvel kind of got there first and set a tone. 
Look, it is interesting when you think about there always was the Elseworlds in comics and that people could do runs and things, and that DC has sort of done that now with the way they bifurcated film and TV and also created this multiple different universes and movies. You could just get interesting, weird takes. I think it creates a commercial ceiling compared to what Marvel has achieved, but it does give you interesting stuff. I, I think it will be a hugely successful movie. I think we will get that Lex Luthor movie. I just think that's the reality. And then I think they'll start, God knows, the Maxwell Lord movie. <laughs> I'm sure the list can go on. But, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, no, seriously. But, but, but I think, you know, it, 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 it's just one of those things. Like, look, you, you just want, at the end of the day, whether or not I support the decisions, I always want the final product to work. So I think it's going to work. And I think it will have that effect that you and I both are simpatico about not wanting. So just, just deal with it and just hope for, as I said, that great Lex Luthor movie. And, you know, like I said, Maxwell Lord. I don't know who else. There's some other cool characters, you know. Amanda Waller. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Amanda Waller or, um, goodness, I can't think of his name. Uh, he played the, the big bad in the crossover for Arrow and Flash. Um, uh, the guy who never never dies, he's immortal for DC. God, I can't oh, think of his Oh, yeah, Razo Ghul. Razo, uh, epic Razo Ghul movie. I mean, that would just be like like the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, Benicio Del Toro is Rachel Ghoul. I, 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 I can get behind that. <laughs> you just open yeah, up a whole I can get behind that. Every year, we're <laughs> going to make this epic movie. So there'll be every filmmaker will want to. I mean, we're giving right now. This is gold. We're giving them the ideas. Every top filmmaker will want to go there. DC will be a major Oscar contender. I mean, yeah, you know that's the way to do it. I mean, and listen, oh, Marvel can make their Savage. Doctor Doom movie. Vandal Savage. That's what I was thinking of. Vandal Savage. Oh, okay. Vandal I Savage. Think was, okay, okay. I think there was a good yeah. one. I mean, I'll take Not both. Bane. I mean, but, um, you know, redo Bane. I mean, come on. It's a whole subgenre. Exactly. I, I do want to ask you about this because um, we were talking about this on our last episode of Geek Vibes Live. Um, <clears throat> you, you, heard, you heard the rumors of um, Endgame possibly being three hours and two minutes. Then you kind of hear recent rumors of them maybe, you know, slimming it down just a little bit. But if it does stay at three hours and two minutes, we've also heard um, this, this mentioned years back. Uh, around Force Awakens of Disney wanting majority of their showing in theaters, right? So I wanted to ask you this. As a producer, like let's say your your movie comes out the same same week or even a week after um, a huge spectacle like Endgame, um, knowing that Disney wants a bulk, um, let's not even be that dramatic. They just want a, a crazy amount of showing. Um, but the showings are at like three hours and two minutes apiece. Um, as a producer, knowing that your movie has to go up against this, um, like, does that bother you knowing that they have that much power to, to summon that many showings? Um, or, or do you kind of just go, you know what, that's just how the game is played? Like, I, I just hope that the hype dies down by the time my movie comes out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the latter, right? I mean, I, I think it, at this point, you know, I mean, and that is a complaint, you know, and it ties into when Disney was buying Fox, there were concerns that they're going to own too much, you know, market share. But yes, at the end of the day, um, it comes down to supply and demand. And if the audience is gravitating towards these type of movies, and I, I saw the Fox merger, you know, coming a long way, to be honest, because I kept putting the studio ultimately had become kind of a genre division. Outside of Avatar sequels, the theatrical division was relying on Disney-owned IP. But that were you know, the Marvel movies, obviously, they're Marvel movies to survive. So, I, and, and they've had other, you know, hugely successful movies, you know, obviously the, 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 
the Bohemian Rhapsody has made a fortune, but it's an old school way of Hollywood that has gone away that we just spoke about, which is you, people just rolling the dice on stuff. So I think with regard to Disney and, and Endgame, you know, that movie is going to come out and make, you know, 250, 260, 270, $280 million, or whatever it does opening weekend, $300 million maybe, uh, just in the U.S. And, it, it, there's supply and the demand at that point. And I think everybody is accordingly programming against it to, you know, either open two weeks before, two weeks after. And, you know, that's, that's the movie that people want to see that week. Yeah. And we actually have an example of it. Cause I believe Detective Pikachu comes out not long after. Um, Probably two weeks after. Yeah. Yeah. And see the, the great position um, Detective Pikachu is in is that, your market isn't necessarily the U.S. It's where Pokemon started that I think a, a, a huge portion of their uh, box office uh, money is going to come from. So Endgame's not necessarily going to die that down, slow that down at all. Um, it's just I, I, I find it funny when people say, like, oh, if Justice League came out the same day as, like, Infinity War, like, they could both make money. No, someone has to lose out, like, there is no, no event, event. Yeah, I mean, event film against event film. You, you know, someone's going to get hurt somewhat. You, you've, you've seen examples where people can, can you know, both be released on the same weekend and both perform. But it, mm-hmm. I have to believe that even when I see two successful films in the same weekend, I have to believe that while there's some audience member who's going to go see both for sure, there's a certain audience you know member that's not going to go see both, right? And that's going right. to elect to see one over the other and you know, maybe to say, I'll see that movie next week. And the minute you do that, you, you risk the situation where they hear that that film did less than at the box office and that dovetails and them hearing from their friend that it wasn't so great. And, you know, suddenly it's an easy thing to say, ah, I'll see it, you know, at home. I mean, I mean, and that, that's for competition and why, but, but I think that conversation, you know, virtually moot because we, we do see certain event films up against each other for the most part, so many uh, you know, like mine that are similar movies are just staying away from each other and carving themselves out a week or two weeks away. We're certainly filling up the last several years of the event. And you're getting beyond weekly. I mean, or I should say you're getting beyond bi-weekly, but, you know, event films coming out weekly now in some cases. But movies go up against each other. I mean, that's still kind of far and few between. I mean, there was a moment where uh, Civil War was going to go up against BVS. And then, you know, obviously uh, they blinked, right? I mean, like, but, but otherwise it's, it's Nobody wants to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I always thought it was just frustrating hearing people say, oh, no, 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 they'll, they'll both be huge box office. And I'm like, no, someone has to lose out. Like, it's just, it's, it is a numbers game. And honestly, if you look at it from more of a, a logical standpoint, NCU has had, <clears throat> like, let's just use your example of Civil War versus BVS, which, by the way, tone-wise, like almost the exact same movie, a good guy versus good guy that turns out that they team up uh, they team with each other against the villain. Um, but um, if you look at it, and it's one of those things that if they did stay on par for the same week, right, you have a lot of people, like general audience, that miss Man of Steel. Like, they didn't see it. Um, so then they're looking at this like, all right, well, I'll check it out, but, like, I'm going to wait so I see Man of Steel first. You have people that have been faithfully following the MCU from Iron Man all the way to Civil War. They are going to see that more uh, faster than they will see BVS. Um, even though you would think Superman, Batman, biggest heroes in, in the hero world, of course people are going to rush out and see that. No, not really. <laughs> like honestly, not really. Civil War would have won that battle. Um, but another thing I wanted to ask you is, 
we saw I, w- I want to take it to Star Wars. We saw the huge success that the um, the Force Awakens got. It was the first um, Star Wars Jedi um, movie that we had had. I want to say since um, Revenge of the Sith, I believe. Um, yeah. And we saw the the huge numbers that 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 brought out. Right. I think that was more so nostalgia. We hadn't seen it in so long. It was just like yes, it's back. I think that if we got, especially with a huge fan base that Game of Thrones has, I think that Disney could make a game changer as far as box office. If they could get uh, the two guys that they just grabbed from Game of Thrones, and if they can get them to make what I believe they are making, which is, um, uh, goodness, I just forgot the name. It was just in my head. Um, Knights of the Old Republic. If you make Knights of the Old Republic, and you just use the formula of Game of Thrones, I believe that could be, like, we know Endgame is going to make historical numbers. I think Knights of the Old Republic could possibly, if Endgame does it, knock off Avatar. So I'm curious, because you're a huge Star Wars fan also, do you think Knights of the Old Republic would be as appreciated um, as, I guess, as Star Wars fans, we would appreciate it. Do you think it will make that much in the box office, especially having that I Game of Thrones formula? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I in terms of in in terms of um, you know, in in terms of you know, Game of Thrones, and and, and in terms of you know, uh, those guys, I think you know whatever they bring to it will be great. But in terms of box office and 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 Knights of the Republic, I think Star Wars, you know, it isn't about Star Wars versus Marvel and DC. When you talk about Force Awakens, Star Wars is something that was written and directed by George Lucas in 1977. It was the biggest movie of all time when it came out. It had two huge sequels that were also amongst the biggest movies of all time. That's a huge imprint. Those three movies had a, a massive effect on pop culture, not only their success in the box office and the soundtrack, but their merchandise and you know, their novel tie-ins and the Marvel comics and the animated series that the droids were in and on Saturday mornings, the, the Christmas special, all that stuff. It, it, it shaped culture, and it, it led into games and books and what you're talking about right now with Old Republic. And it, there is a whole generation, and I, someone who's a bit older than you, but also there are people older than me, and there are people younger than you. There's just whole multi-generations of people who, you know, just, just grown up with Star Wars as being kind of our mythology in a way from this, you know, film medium. And, you know, that continued with those other three movies, the prequels being very, very big movies. And when you bring up Force Awakens, I think it all leads up to that because it's, it's the next, it's the seventh movie, but it was also nostalgic to an older audience because you had the original cast. And that's why the gross, dis- sorry, the gross disparity is there between what Force Awakens did and what Last Jedi did or what this next one is going to come out and do. I just think that at the end of the day, it's a huge brand. It's massive. You know, this next one's going to make a fortune. I think it'll be hard for any subsequent movie to ever make as much as this next one because I think at the end of the day, it's something that people want to be special. It's not something they want to be as exploited the way Marvel and DC is. It doesn't sustain that level of exploitation. I think its future is going to be more on the streaming Disney Plus service, to be honest. So Mm -hmm. I I think that if you... I think, like, you can do all that stuff, but you're just on a box office. I just think in terms of reaching those heights, I just think there's a ceiling there in terms of what people want from Star Wars. Most people, when you say Star Wars, are going to think of those original three, then maybe some other and, – and look, I, I don't want to get – you know, I'm, I'm going to be kind of ageist in a – like an old way, all those original three. There's a whole younger generation who grew up with the prequels, and now there's a younger generation who grew up with the new ones. But 
So the brand will keep expanding. But to the same point then, I'm not sure why Old Republic would be the way to go versus something original that, that you know, isn't created by the new ones. I just think it's a huge brand. It's a testament to George Lucas. Disney is managing it and nurturing it well. But I don't know if it can reach the same level as it ever has before. And it, it's still huge. I mean, obviously. But when you say New Republic, like that, I just think, like, visually, it will – you can do a lot of cool things with it, but to get really high grosses, I think this comes with somebody's, it's magic when you do those. And that's what, you know, Titanic was, what Avatar was. You know, we'll see how Endgame does. Endgame will be huge. I'm not sold on the idea that Endgame is going to dethrone Avatar just yet, the way a lot of people are. Um, but it, I just think that's a tall order, what you're saying. I don't think the Avatar sequel is necessarily going to be as big as the first Avatar either. So, uh, at least, you know, domestically. I don't know what happened in, in the foreign. But I just think it's, it, I'm not really sure if what the next movie to be the biggest movie of all time will be. And I certainly think a Marvel movie like Endgame has that, you know, opportunity as would the Avatar movies maybe, but Star Wars kind of had its chance with Force Awakens. It could maybe, I think that was kind of it. It was nostalgia. It was the the reuniting of the, the biggest movie of all time again. I think everything from here is just gravy. Yeah. And and I will say two points I wanted to to knock on from, from what you just said. One, Avatar and James Cameron was such a genius to this. Like, I think a lot of people, maybe the generation, like, under me, um, a lot of people thought James Cameron created 3D, not really realizing 3D had existed before him. Um, He just made it cool. Because I remember right after Avatar, everyone was trying to do 3D. Um, And I visually, to me, to be completely honest with you, I didn't think it was that good of a movie. I think visually I can completely understand why people are like, I have to see this in theaters. Um, Because it's not something you can watch at home on your TV, even if you have a 3D TV and appreciate the same. You had to have visually seen that in theaters. Um, That movie just, it it, it picked up on so much, like the 3D aspect. Kids thought it was so cool. It looked so beautiful and everything. Um, So that's kind of like lightning in a bottle. I don't think James Cameron. Uh, but then again, Titanic, you said, uh, he's probably not going to do that again. Then Avatar, he did it again. So Yeah, I'll, I'll, never, I'll, I'll, right, exactly. I'll, yeah. I'll never bet against James Cameron. I mean, he, he you yeah. know, I remember that, I remember when, you know, uh, when Avatar was coming out, uh, he came to San Diego, a Comic-Con with it uh, in, in the summer. And I remember not being impressed when he came down to San Diego. I remember, the, you know, that he showed some footage and it, it wasn't all cut together in a trailer and it was, just one sequence and it was cool but I, I just remember looking at it going like you know it was kind of a little skeptical and I remember then when the trailer came out in the fall I remember coming home one night and the trailer had just you know been put online or and I remember maybe or the next morning a Saturday morning or something I remember watching that trailer like 25 times in a row I was just mesmerized like I I I, I couldn't believe, and, and I loved the film subsequent to that I and mean, I was a big big fan of the movie I loved to watch the movie at home so but I think that Part of its success is absolutely the visual aspect. It pioneered the 3D technology. The attendance to see the movie in 3D was massive. It was like people who saw the movie saw it in 3D. Like to give you an example, other big blockbuster movies like Endgame won't have that level of 3D attendance. Right. So I just think it's going to be very hard for even him to duplicate that. I'm personally incredibly excited about the sequels. I think they'll be very successful. But yeah, I just think lightning in the bottle. And that's what Titanic was. That's what the first Avatar was. That's what the Jurassic Park was when it came out. That's what Jaws and E.T. and Star Wars. Remember, even when the new Star Wars prequels came out, they weren't able to reach the same height as the original Star Wars. So right. I think lightning in the bottle is, 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 is very hard to ordain. 
you know, in the case of Marvel, their growths are going up, you know, yes, with inflation and things, but it's also just their, it's a different business plan. It's a different model. They're building out a universe. It's not something where you have a phenomenon and then everything else is sort of, is sort of trickling down from that. Whereas what I feel more the first Star Wars or Avatar were. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, it, like we were just saying, I think James Cameron has shown James Cameron's the only one that could beat his, uh, his record. Um, so yeah. we shouldn't really be looking for anyone else to do it because they can't. Um, but I didn't want to speak to the other point that you had on kind of going more original for the uh, the next, uh, you know, the next life of, of these Star Wars movies. The main reason why I kind of wanted it to be nice as the Old Republic is you look at Phantom Minute. I think a lot of people walked out of that movie, regardless of how you felt of the, the actual movie. A lot of people left that movie just saying how cool Darth Maul was. And I think if you're George Lucas and you have to do it over again, you give Maul a lot more than you did. Um, that was a huge marketing thing uh, after that movie, if I'm remembering collect, uh, correctly, is Maul. Maul figures, Maul cups. I, I remember I had a Darth Maul um, piggy bank. Um, like, that was just everyone loved the look of Darth Maul. He was cool. He had a double-sized lightsaber. Um, then you fast forward to The Force Awakens. That's what Kylo Ren was. He had the mask. He had the all-black. He had the lightsaber that was coming out of, you know, uh, out of the sides. It just looks cool. It was a good visual, and you can market off of that. I think if you do Knights of the Old Republic, you could 100% market off of Darth Maldon. Um, And that's just such a great character, like villain, um, that you could use. And Knights of the Old Republic, you can tweak that and make it somewhat of an original story um, just with using characters. Uh, you can kind of address it the same way that, James Gunn's addressed in Suicide Squad. They keep calling it a reboot, but it's not. You're bringing back the, some of the same characters, so it can't really be a reboot. Maybe a soft reboot. Um, so I think if you do Knights of the Old Republic, you can kind of tweak it to where the story isn't catered off of any game or book or anything. It's an original concept. You're just using the characters of it. Um, but I do get your point. Like, I love Rogue One because I felt like it was original. Um, uh, yeah, I, Solo, I, I, mean, look, I, I love it was good. I mean, Rogue One is great. You know, Solo's good. I, I, I feel like they're making the Rogue One prequel TV series on Disney+, Plus, which I can't wait for. Uh, I feel like, you know, again, like, I'm not knocking the idea of doing New Republic. I'm just sort of saying, I don't know. If, I don't really know what the – I don't know if Star Wars' future is to necessarily regain the title of biggest movie of all time. I think it's got a very long life ahead of itself as a brand. But I, I just think those days, maybe, you know, sort of in the – in the past for it, that maybe now it's brand is something that's more of a TV and streaming. And, you know, whereas, you know, I think Marvel and Avatar are, are sort of the bigger theatrical plays for Disney right now. Uh, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, beyond that was the episode nine, which is going to make, you know, could make $2 billion. But I, I can't imagine that they won't make another Star Wars movie. Like, I, I feel like they'll still be the, even if the still didn't do well, I still feel like the, the 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 greed will kick in at Disney if we have to make we have to you know make another movie that is released under the Lucasfilm banner with the name Star Wars. So mm-hmm. at, at some point they will do that. It'll be interesting to see what the box office is for a Star Wars movie because it's so hard to like. I have an idea of what a Marvel movie can do. Like I I, I can sort of like crunch in my head like what a gross of a Marvel movie is, right? Whereas like yeah. Star Wars to get to this place of like so if it's not a episode seven, eight, or nine movie, 
And Rogue One's like an outlier because it kind of came out like right after Force Awakens and people were just like so salivating for more Star Wars. And now Solo came out and didn't perform, although it did numbers that most movies would die to have. But what is the number? Like that's what I'll be curious to see. What is the number of just a random Star Wars movie that, you know, somebody gets the chance to just make a movie set in the Star Wars universe and then it gets released. I'd be very curious to sort of see how that movie would perform at the box office. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all. And I, I think Solo was blown out of proportion in, in the sense of um, people not thinking it was, it was a good film. Like, I get it and I respect it if you didn't like it. Um, but I personally can't see it. Like, I, I, I know I, I fought uh, seeing it because I was just like, the trailer didn't really sell me. Like, I, I know I thought Donald Glover looked amazing as Lando, but, like, I need more than that. Um, so then I, I actually just saw it maybe about a month or two ago on, on Netflix. And I regret not seeing it in a movie theater uh, because I really did truly enjoy that movie. Um, but I did yeah, it's fine. It's not – I don't think it's great. I think that was kind of an impossible mission for Ron Howard where he had yeah. to come in and, you know, save a movie, but then – the whole time, people would always be scrutinizing him and saying, well, you know, it's, it's like he was never going to get a fair shake with that. And, and I think the final product is totally fine. And, and I actually really like the idea of doing a solo movie. Um, but I, I think that that movie, just because of its, because of its production, as we say, it didn't get a fair shake. At the same time, I don't think it's anything inspired. So, you know, at the intersection of those two things, you know, comes the lack of it being a blockbuster. Uh, you know, to be honest, Glover was great, right? And and yeah. that's fine too. I would revisit those characters and those actors on the streaming service if I were them. But that's a separate issue. But that's the thing. We'll see. Like, we'll see what the future is. Because I, I feel like they know they're doing Marvel. You know, they, they know how they can rely on Marvel to make, you know, four movies a year now. They're going to have their Avatar sequels. I, I'm just curious beyond, you know, the episode nine, because you're always going to do a new trilogy. And then you tried to go beyond that with Rogue One. You got away with it. Solo, you didn't get away with it. It sounds like the Obi-Wan movie is going to morph into a series on Disney+. Plus. So I'm curious to see what that cinematic future will be for that brand. Yeah, especially when you can't tug at the, the heartstrings of, like, the OG characters, like Obi-Wan or the Skywalkers, uh, when you have to completely create something of its own. It does not connect yeah. to any Skywalkers yeah. it, it, or anyone that knew them. Yeah, um, you're just, how say, you're, just you're just, exactly. It's like, it's like you can, to do that in the pages of a comic book or a book, you know, in the licensing aspect doesn't cost them a lot of money, right? You know, in terms of yeah. when you start spending $200 million on a movie, it, it's a bit of a gamble because, because episode seven is, 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 is exactly tying into that nostalgia. Now, Rogue One is sort of the guinea pig, right? But, it, it, you know, I, I always call Rogue One Lego. I mean, it, it takes all this stuff where, it, like, it plays in. It, 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 it sort of is like another prequel movie in a way. What can, so much of Rogue One's success is plugging into that. If you, if you just start making more and more and, and you start diluting the brand, as I say, like, what happens? At the same time, you know, Rogue One made $155 million opening weekend. As I say, Solo is considered a disappointment. It still did numbers that most studios would kill to, to make. It still made as much as Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, in the United States. So, like, I have to wonder if they'll think there's some mileage with that brand and say, like, just make anything original and crap it out because you can still open it. But at the same time, 
what do you want to spend versus what do you want to get? I mean, if you're going to spend $300 million making a marketing a movie, it seems like a good investment for Marvel because you'll make $700 million at least, probably a billion. I don't think Star Wars has reached that guarantee at this point. Yeah, and I would say if, 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 you're, if you're Disney, I think it would also be wise to not rush into another movie after this, uh, this one this year. Take, take a while. And I'm not saying take as long as you did between uh, Revenge of the Sith and um, uh, the, the newer ones. But just take a right. little bit of time. Um, right. Just to but kind that's, of build that intrigue back. But that's it. Like, that's, that take your time and then do what? You know, take your time and just make something random. Do you actually have the ambition to make a movie and call it Star Wars Episode 10? Because you, and, and you decide, okay, our best bet is to go back and, you know, back the Brinks truck up and get the, the, the young people who will now be the old people. It, it, it's, yeah. it's a lot of decisions that are, are more sort of, you know, daring than Marvel decisions. Because Marvel decisions are just take the comic books, adapt, keep doing what's been working in the comics for X amount of decades. With Star Wars, you're going to have to make it up as you go. Because for the longest time, it was only three movies, when had it not been controlled by one man, there would have been a lot more than three movies. And suddenly yeah. there were six movies. And now a major corp is in charge, and they want to exploit it, say that they are Marvel, but they have a blueprint for how to exploit Marvel. They're, they, have to, they have to make this up as, as they go. So it's an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, and I will say the, the one advantage the Star Wars universe has over, um, you could maybe say the, the MCU is that, they were able to catch lightning in a bottle with Star Wars The Clone Wars. So, like, you had at least a show, you had a show or two um, that can kind of keep you going with the idea of Star Wars. And then when the movie came, you're like, oh, my goodness. Um, so I, I, I do get exactly where you're coming from. It just has to be a smart, logical move, whatever that next move is. What so he, you can't Lucas, right, I mean, Lucas managed everything and caught his. And, and I knew Star Wars was bigger than ever many years ago when, when a, a colleague of mine, had told me that he went to a birthday party and uh, with, with, with his kids. It was a Star Wars birthday party, and he asked the kids what their favorite Star Wars movie was, and they all looked at him and said, there's a movie, because they knew, with a question mark, because they knew the brand because of the Clone Wars. So yeah. I, I think something like that is why Disney bought it, because they went, there's a lot more here than just movies. There's toys and games and animation. So it's going to continue to live on very well in that respect. It's just a question of the live-action movies. And again, I'm so excited about the live-action TV application. I think that that just may be more suited for it because as a fan, I don't want there to be a lot of movies. I like them being special. I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. That's why, look, I'd be fine with Knights of the Old Republic as a show, not a movie. Like, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, just, I need Darth, I, I need Malgus. I mean, you want um, your thing? Give me, give me, give me the, the you know, the Fallen Trilogy, all that stuff. I mean, that's all fine. I, if there's a fan base for it all, it, it's all about figuring out the, the platform and distribution and the best way to exploit it. Yeah, no, that's true. All right, I don't want to keep you for too much longer. I have one last uh, huge question for you. We've talked Marvel. We've talked Star Wars. I got a huge question for you about um, DC, DC and Warner Brothers. Um, and you being a producer, I think you are the best person to answer this question for me. We, um, we got in an argument last Sunday um, about how Warner Brothers and DC are running things, like how everyone thinks Warner Brothers needs a Kevin Feige. I personally disagree. I think you have tried it. It does not work because 
Warner Brothers seems to have uh, placed someone there to be a mouthpiece, but you don't hear from that person. You hear from Warner Brothers. That totally vetoes you having that mouthpiece. So I think in, in what I was saying that everyone was disagreeing with me on is, I think if you're Warner Brothers, which you do it, you have Shazam coming out, right? I should only hear from the producer and David Sandberg. That's it. I don't want to hear from anyone else. That's who I want to hear from. All right? Next movie, Wonder Woman. I should only hear from Patty and the producer. I shouldn't hear from anyone else that's outside of them. Because what Warner Brothers seems to do is they say one thing, producer says another. That can't, that can't happen. You, you, you two should always be on the same page. The thing that Warner Brothers should do is take it movie by movie. If someone asks you a question about a universe, say, I couldn't tell you, I only have it planned out for this movie and then the next movie. That's it. Um, I don't think they should ever want to try to follow what Feige has done because Feige has been doing it for, it seems like, 14 years, 13, 12, 13, 14 years. Um, so if you're DC, what seems to be working for you is Aquaman. You handled that very in-house. That was very – everything was in-house. You only heard from Juan. You didn't hear from anyone else, really. Um, Shazam is, is ramping up. I actually got to see it a, a week or two ago from Fandango. Um, loved it, by the way. Sandberg, I've been hearing a lot from. That's really the only guy I want to hear from. So I wanted to hear your thoughts as a producer. Um, what do you think they should do? Do you think they need uh, some uh, just one guy that everything runs through, like how Disney has Feige for Marvel? Or do you think it should be case by case, like just movie by movie? I mean, you really just only hear from the producer and the director? Well, well look, look, here's the thing. I mean, first and foremost, you know, what I would say is I think that just at the end of the day, what you want each time you make a movie is the individual movie to be great, right? So when you're making movies based on comic book movies, superhero movies, you know, villain movies, The Joker, whatever the movie is, you want the movie individually to be great. Okay, we all know that. But mm-hmm. when you're dealing, again, with IP, with stuff that has a fan base, and when you're dealing with, you know, a huge fan base, and you're dealing with companies that are publicly traded and they have, you know, fiduciary duties, I think you have to manage that. And I don't really care how you manage that, whether it's one person managing that, whether it's a team managing that. It's just about results. That's really what it comes down to. So individually, you can, you know, judge a film success, and then you can also judge a studio slate. But when you're dealing, you know, as I say, with something that's IP and that's valuable and it's part of sort of a shared universe and there's an argument that they're more valuable when you put them together, I do think that needs to be addressed. So that's my long way of saying I think Kevin Feige has proven that he has done the best job anyone can possibly do with what he has done. And I think that Warner Brothers has had some tremendous success with some DCIP over the years, going back to the Christopher Nolan Batman movies and going further back than that. They've had a mixed record in between that. I think that people actually attack Warner Brothers more than they should because for years, people used to say, oh, they need to get up their butts and, and make all this stuff. And I used to actually be a defender and say, hey, hey, they got Harry Potter. They got Ocean's Eleven. They got, you know, they have all this stuff. They don't even do anything, okay? Like, like you know, it's up to them what they do or don't want to do. But once the competition starts exploding and showing the real value of these things, you now need to bring your A game and show what you can do. And they've been making an effort to do that, and that effort started with Man of Steel, carried over into Batman vs. Superman, Suicide Squad, you know, uh, obviously making Wonder Woman and Aquaman and all these things. And they were attempting to be a player and a competitor. Now they've moved into something different. To be honest, I respectfully disagree with the current strategy. 
Doesn't mean I don't uh, look forward to some of the movies. Doesn't mean I don't have something to be great. But I think we're leaving a lot of money off the table by not cross-pollinating the characters. So I do think that you need to have somebody individually speaking for each movie always. But I do think you also need to have somebody speaking for DC, not about Warner Brothers. I think DC is a treasure chest of some of the most valuable intellectual property on the planet. It, this studio controls the film rights. In the current theatrical marketplace, audiences have shown they will clamor for this stuff. And I think that currently DC movies are sometimes leaving money up the table. And I think DC is certainly leaving money up the table by not correctly having their members put together. Yeah, okay. and, and I, and I want to speak to, you were saying it's more so about results, like just, you know, doing it right, making sure the movie's good, making sure um, things are good so it could, it could earn that money in the box office. But that's more so to my point of, you, you didn't really have one guy speaking for Wonder Woman. You didn't have one guy speaking for Aquaman. And it doesn't seem like you're going to have one guy speaking for when Shazam comes out. Wonder well, Woman was not their current Because that's not their current plan. And that, their, their, their current plan is more independent, franchise-specific, and it's working for them somewhat. So, you know, you, mm-hmm. you've had good results with Aquaman. You're going to get good results with Shazam. You're going to get good results with The Joker. You're going to get good results with Suicide Squad 2. You're going to get good results with Birds of Prey. You're going to get good results with Wonder Woman 2. So who am I to criticize? Well, who I am to criticize is I can tell you that as good as those results are, they're still not as good as the competitors' results, and there's still many of us who believe you could be doing as well, if not better, than the competitor, but that past mistakes and current mistakes are combining to prevent that from ever happening. Yeah, I see where you're coming from, but the main thing – I, I was looking at is if you can start, which it seems like they're doing, if you can build that good space that you've lost, especially if, if, if the, the rumblings that we're hearing about Ezra is true and he's possibly out, you just lost Ben, Henry seems to be in the flux. We're hearing nothing about uh, Hal Jordan. To me, if you're saying I just want to take – like you guys didn't really like the, you know, the, the, uh, the world Zach was building – you kind of want to dip they can, they, can, they, can kind of, they can kind of ride this out. Right now they're about to have – they can sort of get away with doing this. That's, that's basically what you're saying? Right, right, right. Yeah. Just, just I'm, only because it's like if you can build up enough good, good faith with your audience, you know that they've loved the, the past four or five movies you put out. Now it's like, all right, let's revisit what these guys really want, which is a connected universe that leads up to – but sooner, but sooner, but that's the kind of thing. Sooner or later, they're going to need to do that, and you know, or they should do that. And and you know, the question will be: with too many casting changes, will they get too addicted to what we just spoke about? Which is, will they say, "Eh, we're making an Aquaman spinoff," you know, with the trench? Eh, we're making the Maxwell Lord, you know, Oscar wannabe movie. <laughs> we don't need to do that. At the end of the day, they'll only make so many DC movies a year at Warner Brothers. So if they start to find, you know, kind of like life hacks as to not making the movies that you and I would expect them to make, as long as there's a financial excuse, they'll just do that. And we'll be sitting here, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, wondering where the Flash and Justice League are. And they'll be satiating themselves by pointing to huge grosses on the Brian Cranston, Lex Luthor movie. That worries me. I will say it seems like the one benefit we as fans have is I don't think the Joker movie is going to make what Shazam and Aquaman and Wonder Woman did, only because 
a mother's not going to see that trailer. I ain't so sure with it. Like, I think Joker will make, I don't know if it's going to a billion dollars, but don't be surprised if it makes more than Shazam. If it makes more than Shazam? See, the only reason yeah. why I give movies like that uh, the, the advantage is because um, you could look at that and go, it's fine, I'm going to take my kids. Um, you look at the Joker movie, I know even some adults that kind of like, I, I was surveying everyone's, you know, feelings of the trailer. Some people just weren't really hooked by it. So I think this yeah, movie... Yeah, I, I, um, I, 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 I conceptually agree, but, but um, yeah, I don't know. Don't count out the Joker. No, I, absolutely not. I think it's going to make really good money, like really, really, yeah, really good money. Um, I think, I think uh, you're going to see numbers that are going to blow your mind. Really? And, and, and you're sticking with better than Shazam? I think Shazam's going to be a big hit. Uh, but I, but I, I think Shazam, first thing, we'll see how big Shazam is. And then secondly, right. I think Joker could be massive. So, you know, it, it, they're both going to make money. I'm, I'm saying that right now. But I think Joker could be massive. And it speaks to, again, what we're talking about, which is that will you then start to get addicted to a high of something that you can get away with doing something different that is more interesting to the community of Hollywood, even if it's not as interesting to us as fans, and, and will you make enough money doing it that you can get away with it, even though we would say, hey, there's more money out there. So that's just, I'm going to kind of just continue to thinking that's a possibility. At the same time, I might think the movie is the best movie in ages. I personally am going to be annoyed that it's a Joker movie, not in the same universe as Batflex, and that we're not getting Justice League. But you know what? Once I watch the movie, I'll probably just individually love it. Um, but I will tell you, I think the numbers are going to be massive. Yeah, and I mean, that's what sucks, being like a fan of these characters, because it's like you don't want to to let Warner Brothers think you're okay with the future of that. But at the same yeah. time, it's like it looks so good. Like I can't not see it in protest of hoping that they give me right, a Flash and right. Green Lantern it's, it's, movie. It's, it's exactly that. I mean, I, I conceptually am against them making this movie, because I want a share universe, but it, it, at the same time, like I, once the, I go in to watch the movie, if the movie's great, the movie's great. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. But yeah, the flip side of that is that now you become a contributor to the problem because you know if the, the movie does gangbusters, which I really think it's going to, we're just going to be talking about exactly what you and I were talking about earlier. And, and as I say, like you know, it, it's the same thing with the Trent. They're going to make this Trent movie, which I think is a really cool idea, by the way. But I know some people are upset about it because they're going to say, oh, it's going to take up a slot that could be another, you know, iconic DC character. So it, it's just one of those things of Warner's is going to continue to do what's best for Warner's as a studio. That may not always be, you know, in agreement with what's best for DC Comics adaptations. Whereas what Marvel does is Marvel Studios doesn't just do what's best for Disney as a studio. They are truly you know, the manifestation of Marvel Comics. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that upsets DC fans is, like, the intro that plays before every, every DC movie, um, well, more so recently. Um, it shows the original Justice League, but you seem to want to give me movies outside of the, the main characters you're, you're opening your movies to. Like, so that means, that, that tells me that you're aware that we want these characters, and you know how popular they are. It's a, but you're it, no it, rush it, to make them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a convoluted mess, to be honest. I think the situation uh, <laughs> that, that they're in. No, no, it is. I mean, I mean, but I mean, it's a convoluted mess where they'll have you know 
they've done huge numbers on Aquaman. They're going to do very good numbers on Shazam. They're going to do, you know, great numbers on Joker. And like I said, they're going to do fine with all their movies next summer. So, you know, it's really ironic for me to see you with a convoluted mess. I've never seen a convoluted, because you're talking about the biggest IP on the planet. That's why. So it's, they're getting away with it. And, and by getting away with it, they're probably making some really great movies. I mean, I effing loved Aquaman. Like we just said to you, even though I disagree with it being out of universe, I cannot wait for Joker. I have not been a big fan of the new Batman developments because I pine for Ben Affleck and because I want it in universe. Guess what? Tomorrow he'll cast someone awesome. And when I see the movie, I'll tell you, oh my God, it's my favorite Batman movie. So creatively, I can be a fan yeah. of things while still criticizing, you know, their commercial, you know, aspirations, or, you know, ceilings that have been built into, you know, things for the various reasons or the business plan or whatever. But you know, it is. It's kind of a convoluted mess, but you know, creatively, it's maybe producing some interesting things. Actually, yeah. I mean, frankly, the, the situation they're in may have been what led to the Joker movie in the first place. So maybe you're going to get an interesting movie as a result of that situation. Yeah, and I mean, I, I was one of those few people who thought, um, like, I didn't see anything wrong with with BVS, like conceptually making that movie. Mainly because if you're Warner Brothers, you're thinking, all right, well, there's no other superheroes outside of maybe Wolverine and Spider-Man that are more popular than Batman and Superman. There just aren't. Yeah, it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. There's so, so, much, like the there's idea, so much. There's so much Monday morning quarterbacking now where it's like they shouldn't right. have done BBS, they did it too fast. It's all execution. It's all execution. Yeah. The truth of the matter is, is that BBS is an ambitious but flawed movie. Speaking about, you know, convoluted messes, it has a lot of good stuff in it. But it's also, mm-hmm. it's only the longer, you know, R-rated cut that really works as a movie. And you can't release a three-hour R-rated Batman and Superman movie speaking of audiences into theaters. You just can't do yeah. that. So it has, you know, there are certain problems that that movie created for that universe going forward. Just like Suicide Squad created problems for that universe going forward in spite of its success. So, you know, I, yeah. I just think about this one blue in the face. The long and short with your answer is, Look, I'm excited about some of these things. I do think they individually are going to continue to represent them right now. But I do think and hope that long-term there is some plan. I really want to see Jason Momoa and Gal Gadot and Zachary Levi on screen together. I want to see Jason and Zach back on screen together, and I want Zach Levi added in there. I want, you know, other characters added in there. I don't want there to not be another Justice League movie at some point in the future. Yeah, and look, I mean, the the biggest thing I, I always wanted was uh, when I first heard that they were going to make a Shazam movie, one of my favorite DC animated movies was Shazam and Superman vs. Black Adam. And I just visually thought, like, man, Henry Cavill, uh, Zack versus The Rock. Like, that's, yeah, you can't exactly. make a trillion dollars off of that, you know, then you're doing yeah. something wrong. So I'm like, yeah. I mean, I mean, the idea I that we may that. never I mean, see that. Yeah, no, totally. And that's exactly it. I got all excited about The Rock being in uh, Suicide Squad 2 when that was rumored for a minute. So it's like, I, I always kind of go back and forth with DC because I'll get upset, then I'll hear about things I'll get really excited about. I'll get into a terrible Twitter fight. You know, it's like, people knew me. I mean, you know, my criticisms come from a place of love. Uh, you know, if you had told me many years ago that Marvel would be outgrossing DC, I would have, you know, thought you were crazy because while I love both I always felt DC had the higher grossing potential with their characters I think the reason yeah. they're not grossing more is because they're not being serviced that's what it is and that doesn't mean I don't adore Marvel by the way I'm just being honest and, but, but you know the movies that deliver more for me creatively currently are the Marvel movies so anyway there you go 
Yeah. No, it, it, it's funny you say that because it doesn't look that way now, but it was super ambitious of Kevin Feige to start his universe with Iron Man, a character that if you didn't watch the cartoons in the 90s or read the comics, you had no idea existed. Um, and then to follow it up was Captain America and then Thor. And then what they, what like, they've managed, what, yeah, what they've managed to achieve based on where they started from and the characters that they've controlled when they didn't control the X-Men, they didn't control Spider-Man, they acquired them later. What they managed to achieve and build is the most impressive management of franchises, because it's not just a franchise, it's franchises, and the most impressive, you know, you know, business model in a producing, you know, career I think anybody's ever seen. What he has done with these characters and this universe and these properties, and it's only going to get bigger, obviously, because they're inheriting, you know, <laughs> amazing IP that they didn't <laughs> control before. Right. So, yeah, his second – There you go. Th- this – the second sprint that he's about to run on this lifelong marathon that, that is the MCU will be what, um, what I look forward to the most because it's going to be difficult. You now have to, with the idea of Robert, Chris, the other Chris, uh, Scarlett, um, Jeremy, all those characters potentially being gone, and you now having to build back up with these other characters that you're now trying to Put to the and yet these other, yet these other um, characters like Black Panther and Captain Marvel are as big, if not bigger, than those characters ever were. And so yeah, they kind of exactly. give you this new, they give you this new lease on it to just continue forward and just keep evolving it. When you gain all these other big characters like Fantastic Four and X Men that are getting, you know, reassembled. Uh, pardon the pun. So it's like I, I just think like they, they are just they're just going to continue taking away to school. I mean, is what I really feel. I mean, I really feel like they're just going to continue and and. I think Eternals is going to be a massive game changer for them. I think that what that movie is going to do in terms of building out mythology for that universe, just they continue to marvel me. I mean, honestly, as a part of the part, they're, they're, they're incredible. So I hope that DC keeps crushing it individually, but I also hope that at some point we start to get some, you know, more cohesive crossover stuff as well. Absolutely. Daniel, I want to thank you so much for geeking out with me. Um, I, I talked your ear completely off. But um, like I said, I was, I, I was a huge fan of, of your work. And once I got you on and, and, you know, we started geeking out like I couldn't stop. But I don't want to keep you for, for any, any longer than I already have. Um, I'm going to be, my whole day so is going to be thinking about all Star Wars and Marvel now anyway. So now I'm, I'm in a great, everything else the rest of the day now is just, every discussion will now be just tone. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'm glad, I'm glad I could do that for you. Um, is there anything you wanted to plug before I let you go? Nah, nine the plug. It's always fun to, you know, get on and geek out with you guys. So uh, that's it, really. And, uh, you know, look forward to, uh, to talking to you guys again soon. Absolutely. It will be soon. Trust me. Uh, thank you again, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.